Hey, I'm Ginger. And I'm Don Zell. And you're listening to Misplaced Life. We'll be exploring the many ways in which our lives often feel misplaced. From emotions to experiences, from relationships to situationships, careers, ideologies, philosophies. You name it, we'll talk about it. Because you may often feel like you're in the wrong place. But you're always living the right life. This conversation was originally recorded via Zoom on May 9th. Donzel and I had started our first recordings in February, and as we prepared to launch, our country was shut down. We kept our conversations going with many discussions surrounding COVID, and then this one, the tragedy surrounding the death of Armand Aubrey. The audio quality is not up to our standards, but the conversation is relevant, and we want you to hear it anyway. Hi, Donzel. I miss you. Hey, Ginger. I miss you. How are you feeling right now? What's, what's, what's in your head? What's in your heart? Oh, gosh. There's a lot in my head and a lot in my heart. What's in my heart is I want this to be over. I want to be back into some sort of a normal society that we were in that is uh, representative of the society that we were in. I do not believe that this one instance will make us change our society drastically. So I think people who are expecting that are, I think, expecting too much. I know that life will never be the same. I want to get back to being out in the public, being out in the shopping malls. I do want to be getting my hair cut. I do want to go see my eyebrow lady. I do want to go to the clubs and the bars. And I do want to go to movie theaters and festivals. I do want those things back and I want them back now. Can we have them now? No. So that's what's in my heart. And my head understands that it's not the time to have those things. And I think that's where so many people are getting hung up is the difference between the head and the heart and understanding that you may feel one way, but you need to know what is right to act upon. And I know that I still have to stay shut in until things get better. Yeah. How about you? Uh, I found myself this past week Clearly very, very concerned and continue to be concerned about what is going to be the new normal. I really, really, really love having friends over and rotating. And that is definitely something that came from my southern roots. And it's just such a part of me. And in our neighborhood, we moved here in 2006. And it's so funny because one year I was, you know, I had just started to meet some people because we started the local elementary school. And I was saying to one neighbor, I was like, oh, I think we're going to do maybe a 4th of July party. And he was like, oh, no, no, you you can't do 4th of July. That's, that's the Bells party. They do 4th of July. So there was like this sort of unspoken rule book of which neighborhood friends had which parties. You know, you learn it really quickly when you move in. But the person who usually does Cinco de Mayo was not doing anything during COVID. And so I just kind of decided that I'm going to have a little Cinco de Mayo street tacos on the street party for my neighborhood crew. I literally got orders of tacos and, you know, things that were easy to, you know, have individually wrapped. So there was no sharing because no touching. You know, I had hand sanitizer out and we had blankets six feet apart spread on the front yard. And, you know, we did it as carefully and as safely as we could. Even though it was so different than what it normally would have been. It was nice. It was, you know, probably 10 people tops. But just to like feel that we are not alone, you know, or, or stuck being alone. Even as a family, and I don't want to discredit how much easier I have it, having a family, having just anybody, whether it's a roommate, friends or whatever, like literally living single, no pets, no nothing right now, I know has to be hard. I don't want to seem like it's that hard because I'm so blessed that I get to share this crazy experience with my family. But I'm also, I love my friends and I love to be around that and talk. So that's been really fun. Is it going to have to be like this for a long time? Is it? What do you think? Yeah, I think it is. And I think the reason why I'm okay with it is because I feel like our governor here in California, Gavin Newsom, um, I feel like he's been very upfront about that in the beginning. And so I'm all about transparency. And I just feel like I've heard him say multiple times, don't expect life to return back this way for a while. Don't expect large concerts. Don't expect large festivals. We're not going to really bring that back until next year. 
So already in my mind, I'm making adjustments for that because in essence, those are essential things, right? Those are things that we've become accustomed to that we really enjoy, but the connection we get from them, the fun we get from them, those are the only ways to gather that fun. So I think for people who are having a hard time for it is because they they haven't just accepted that we have to be like this for a little bit. And that doesn't mean that it's the end of your world or the end of your society or the end of your freedoms. It just means that you're making an adjustment because yes, these big, large music festivals are amazing. And these big, large mega clubs are amazing. Society didn't used to have these things. We act like our society were always built on these things. Like these are things that we as people developed and created to enjoy life. So what's going to happen is people are going to find new ways to enjoy life. Like new ways in the old ways though, right? The simplicity of things, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, and, and we'll, we'll, get back there and it's like if we want to get back there why not do it right Right? what is that saying take the time to do it right I mean you know because the thing is the consequences of not doing it right are deadly honestly exactly exactly stakes are high I don't know. For me, I'm okay with it. I definitely don't think it's sustainable. I definitely don't want to stay this sheltered in place. I definitely (laughs) am happy that California opened up a little bit on Friday. And I'm happy that they, you know, have a plan and that they will hopefully stick to that plan. And hopefully in stages, we will slowly start to inch back into society. (laughs) Otherwise, you're going to be living Uh, in a jungle. (laughs) Yeah, you and your plants. Right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, <laughs> I, I just I wanted living energy around me, and I wanted to be able to care for something, right? right. Like these yeah. are part of your. Uh, this is a part of our, us as a human, I think. Yeah. And the last option was to drink. I know a lot of people who are just like, "Well, it's party time. I'm drinking a lot," and it's like, "No, I don't want to build any unhealthy habits or toxic habits." And the truth is, like that energy is going to go somewhere. Right. We need to channel it. And so people will find that escape and they'll find that escape in toxic things. So for me, it was, all right, let's just find the healthiest thing that can keep you focused, motivated, productive, present in the world. And it became plants. It really did. I have never been a plant person. It's so cute though. 10 plants right now in my living room. Did you name, do you name them? (laughs) I did not name them yet. People have told me to name them, but I haven't named them. They are all girls and it's Of course they are. I can feel their energy and if they don't like a new plant, they will let me know. And I bought a new plant and she was really much of a diva and they did not like her because she was like coming in and trying to take over and I had to get rid of her. I had to take her back. I remember the other plants, I just like felt this energy and they were just like, oh no, who is this bitch? Isn't that funny? Even simple things have energy and auras, I guess. But yeah. One more little quick thing before we move on. I did something today that I don't usually do. I posted on Facebook something that was not controversial, but I just, where I came from, and you can probably relate to this, where we came from in the South. There's a lot of my Facebook friends that are people I went to high school with or whatever, grew up with, college. I love keeping up with people. I love what's happening. They're not really in my life to the level that I would have to be like, bitch, you're fucking crazy. I'm going to cut you off if you vote yeah. Trump. Like, I'm, it's not it's not that. So yeah. I'm like, it's nice to feel connected to like our roots in some ways. But yeah. sometimes I have to kind of like bite my tongue or whatever. But I've learned not to engage. It's just not worth it, right? But there was an article today. I don't know if you know about University of Alabama, Birmingham, UAB. It, it is a massive research hospital. And there was an article from the head of uh, infectious diseases talking about how, yeah, he's so concerned about COVID-19 and he feels like there's like, you know, a hurricane coming on. Yeah. And juxtapose that with comments and things that I've seen. They're like, I'm not fucking wearing a mask. It's my right. So I posted it today and I said, hey, um, for all of my Facebook friends that don't really want to wear a mask, I get it. You have the right to do whatever you want to do. But if you don't wear a mask, would you please socially distance yourselves from people like my mother, who is in the riskier age group? And I said, don't take this from some crazy girl from Alabama who moved to that crazy state of California. This is a news story on your local news from University of Alabama. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? This is from your own globally renowned research institute right there in Alabama. So please, if you see my mom in Walmart, walk away because you might kill her. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's a great way to put it. I mean, I. it's just their rights aren't taken away. They're just inconvenient. Right. And it's a challenge of 
being American. We do not like to be inconvenienced because we are spoiled. And look, I love being American. I love being spoiled. Let's be honest. Like, I love that I have the freedoms that I have. But the right. people who are upset have no, I have I have at least not heard anyone say anything prolific to make me say, wow, you have a good point. All they've said is, I want my rights to go to my hair salon. I want my rights to go to my beach. I want my, yeah. my rights to not have to wear a mask. Just, I want to say to those people, literally just shut up and stay home. Like, they're not, not going to do up. it, though. They're not. I mean, you should see the stuff that people post. The yeah. way that people reacted to the HIV case, it's similar. This idea of, oh, we don't have to. Why do we have to pay attention? Why do we have to do this? Why do we have? That's not even going to affect us. That's a gay disease. Right. That has nothing to do with us. Then they find out, oh, wait, straight people can get this too. Same thing with COVID-19. That's not real. That's the, that's the fake disease. Like the, this dismissiveness of the disease. And that's what they do. And they dismiss, they dismiss, they dismiss until it hits them personally. And then it's, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. This was real. And But then at that point, it's too late. And that's the frustrating thing is that since this began, Everyone's just been saying, hey, let's do our best to flatten the curve and get ahead as far as we can before it's too late and it becomes a monster that we can't tackle. And there's people who are resisting the measures to reduce this virus are just not even helping us. And if we have a second spike, I'm going to be honest. It's going to be gonna ugly. Be, it's going to be ugly. And it's going to be that moment yeah. of like, you yeah. had to learn by touching the hot stove. Yeah, that's the thing is that the desire to not have their rights taken away, how that is so much stronger than just common sense to listen to scientists, which is why yeah. I posted that article. Like, yeah. this is a doctor in your community. This is not some crazy doctor in California. This is not yeah. whoever else, you know, the current administration has bastardized and tried to discredit while they put their arms around them at the same time. It'll be interesting to see what the comments are. That's for sure. And if oh, anybody wants to unfriend me, like, that's okay. My mind is this idea of my rights are being taken away. I'm fighting for my rights. What about people's and right to live, right? Exactly. Like, I mean, and the fact that you can have several armed Caucasian men and women. Yeah, I was going to say, segue to that for a second. Yes. Outside of a state capital. And everyone say for their right to attend the beach or to not wear a mask. They're protesting with guns. Right. And for them to be given the narrative that they're given. Right. But you have one football player to take a knee in a nonviolent protest to say we have a problem in our country of black and brown bodies being unjustly murdered. And he is one singular person who took a knee in a game and has been vilified. And what about demons. his rights? What about his rights? And he's literally protesting in a nonviolent way yeah. without any guns on any state capital. With no consequences right. that like deathly consequences to anybody, right? For the right for them to live. Right. That's an actual right that is worth protesting for. Absolutely. Your right to not go to the beach for two months, sit down and shut up. Right. Well, I mean, and we've had, you know, some conversations in the very beginning, which we talked about what our differences were. The one obvious difference between us is our race, which, you know, I think leads to a lot of interesting conversations and perceptions about things. And first of all, the whole thing that happened in Georgia, I mean, I can't, all I can think about was that mother. And I saw that video and I, it's hard to, it's hard to not feel ashamed. And I guess, especially being from the South. And I know that People don't, don't look at me. It's not personal. But I just can't, I can't, it's so unfathomable to me. It was a lynching. It was something that nobody ever, ever, ever should have to endure. It shouldn't even be like a thought. I mean, we're all just, we're just people. I just can't, there's nothing that defines any, for me right now, there's nothing more that has hit home and defined how so far apart we still are. And I also struggle. I have so much empathy and compassion and sadness and and yet I still feel I don't know what it's like. So I can only imagine as a mother to lose her child, but I can't imagine what it's like to lose her child because of the color of their skin. And I think you and I talked about this in our first episode, you know, you'll never know what it's like to be adopted. I'll never know what it's like to to be black. And I'm just I'm so frustrated and I'm embarrassed and I'm ashamed in some ways. The fact that that idea, the fact that Anybody thinks that you can hunt down a fucking human being 
and just shoot them. And it takes two fucking months for any charges to be brought about. I mean, I know the KKK still exists. I know that racism still exists. But this was just such a blatant in our face example of like anytime that we think that we've come so far when that kind of shit happens, I'm like, we are still so far apart. And it just it breaks my fucking heart. You know, and I feel bad. I feel really bad. I feel bad saying I feel bad because I'm afraid that somebody's going to look at me like, you feel bad. You're white. What do you think I feel like? Because I'm a black person and I struggle with how to even be compassionate and empathetic in a situation like that because I still feel like it's all defined by our differences. Even our compassion is still defined like, yeah, but you don't get it because you don't know what that's like. And that makes me sad. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot to unpack there. I think that a shame doesn't move anyone to action. I'm not saying that it's not okay to feel shame or feel ashamed, but I think we have to recognize that shame doesn't move us to action. Shame or guilt keeps us stuck. It disables us. So you have to dig deeper than the shame. And you have to dig to the point where what's the thing that drives you to the action? Because you're right. The conversations are not new. The conversations have been happening over and over again. And the unfortunate, heartbreaking truth is this is one man's video who we saw. This does not account for the videos that we have not seen. If that person who was in that truck following and with the video had not have been there, we would never have heard Ahmaud Aubrey's name. We would have never seen the case. We would have never seen the video. We would have never heard a thing. And the sad thing is, historically, there are countless bodies that have all been murdered unjustly, and their murderers have gone free, and their murderers have taken high positions in companies and in government and in local and city and state politics, and those people have become a footnote, if you even know their name. So my question to white America is, when is enough evidence and cases enough to make white America wake up? Because it's not black America who needs to wake up. If anything, we need to wake up from the nightmare because we're living a nightmare generation after generation and we can't escape this beast of racism. And that is because white America won't own their racism. Unfortunately, historically, have more reason to be afraid of a white person than a white person ever has to be afraid of me. When we spoke on our first podcast, we talked about the other side of the tracks, right? And you had said to me, one of the, the differences in terms of our experience of that same situation was that mine was a matter of not being allowed and yours was a matter of concern for what could happen. And yeah. I'm like, okay, but how old are you? I'm 35. Okay. So when you were 10, so it's been 25 years. And unfortunately... That concern is still valid. And that, I mean, that, and this just proves it. Sorry. And and it's because what I see a lot is three things. You have white America who is in disbelief. In case after case, they look for a reason to justify the disbelief, right? They're already already doing that in this case. The first thing that happens is they want to figure out how do we justify that this death was right. They're already doing that. They're already doing that. That's, That's some white people, not all, that's some. Then you have some white people who are on the front lines and they understand and they are a part of the movement. And they are in the fight. And then you have some white people. They are just, they're, they're frozen. They're broken. They, they hurt and they're sad, rightfully so. But what needs to happen is you have to speak to your people before I do. I've been speaking to your people for years. Me and my ancestors. We've been saying the same thing for years. We haven't changed what we've been saying. When we got set free from slavery, we had immense economic growth and wealth within the Black community that we have still yet to come close to. Being set into society with nothing, and we found a way. We built our own communities. We built our own towns in some places. We got into government. We built our own schools and our own universities. And we we were told we weren't allowed in the white spaces. We were told we weren't equal. We were told all these things. So we went and built ourselves up. And what happened? We were then hunted. Our towns were then burnt down. Tulsa, Oklahoma is not a fiction. Black Wall Street existed. Black Wall Street was burned to the ground by white people. Rosewood, Florida is not a myth. Rosewood was a black town that was burned to the ground by white people. 
Emmett Till is not a myth. Emmett Till is a black man who was dragged and beaten and hung because a white woman said he winked at her. And then years later recanted and said it was a lie. The, 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 the war on drugs was a war on the black community. You have people in the black community who are getting immense fines and sentences for crack cocaine. But then in the white community, you have white people getting caught with cocaine powder and the cocaine powder can be more than the crack cocaine. The amount of how much of it and the sentencing is harsher. You can look at the facts and the numbers. Someone can have a gram of crack cocaine on them and then get these tons of years sentences while someone can have have an eight ball of cocaine on them and get a slap on the wrist. None of what we say is this thing of like, where's the proof? Rodney King was so important because for years people said the LA police were coming into black communities and planning drugs, abusing, doing these harsh things. And what ends up happening is Rodney King exposed that police brutality. The beginning of this whole idea of we've got to catch the police on film to say, to prove that for years, the police have beat and even raped our communities. And then we are told from years of experiencing this, of seeing family members go through this, brothers, sisters, cousins, uncles, grandparents, of seeing people go through these gross injustices. And then we're told we're supposed to trust the police. We're told we're supposed to trust law. We're told that we will get a court case that says you get judged by a jury of your peers, but we walk into that courtroom and every jury is a white face. So my question is, how much evidence do you need? And when will more of white America speak up against white America? Because until more white Americans start speaking up and standing out, the unfortunate truth is things won't change. The system will continue to do what it was designed to do. The system is succeeding. The system has been in place to oppress and to suppress voices of color, not just black, but we're talking brown as well. And in order for that system to break, more white people have to do more than be sad. They have to actively speak out. For us, it's almost like, who's next? We shouldn't have to live like that. But that's just, that's like the most heartbreaking part of it is that it's just- That's the truth. I know. Because I know. Armand Aubrey is just the recent headline. Right. So there were headlines line, before him, yep. and there are headlines that are coming after him. And the unfortunate thing is, no matter where you are in America, if you are a person of color, you know, either very actively or even in the back recesses of your mind, that at any moment, this country has allowed for white people to think that they have ownership over your body. And that's what it boils down to. White America has not released the understanding that you do not have control over my body. I am not your property. That is how they treated us when they kidnapped us and sold us. And that is how they treated us when they set us free from slavery and they built the systems of the Jim Crow South. That is exactly what happened with Ahmaud Aubrey. Two white men thought that it was their business to take ownership over a singular black body. And then when that black body didn't instantly submit to their command because they're not his owner and he doesn't have to, the ultimate punishment was death. And then for that to be taken into the court system there. And for the other people in that community who were in the law enforcement to let it pass until a video sparked yep. national outrage, yep. that just goes to show, again, white America, this is a systemic problem. This is not a singular issue. Mm -hmm. White America likes to turn a blind eye and say, no, what happened to Armand Aubrey was just a singular thing of that tale. Well, how many of those that towns do you need to understand that this is indicative of a nationwide problem? Because that community, that town, that was so many others. Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, Sandra Bland, Emmett Till, the list goes on. And you got Black people over here throwing their hands up, saying, I don't know. I'm angry. I'm tired. I'm pissed off. Here I am again. One of my friends, I talked to her about the whole thing. And 
What was eerie was two weeks before the video of Ahmaud Aubrey. I was on the phone with a friend. It was at night. It's like nine o'clock at night. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go on my, jo- my night jog. And he was like, a night jog, be careful. And, you know, we made jokes and laughters about that because being darker skinned and running at night is scary in itself because like a car could literally hit you. You know what I mean? Like if you don't have on bright reflective clothing, like, like you know, like that's just not safe in general because it's nighttime and I'm dark skinned. And so that's half of the joke. And then the other half of the joke is because I know that where I'm going to run through is a neighborhood that is mostly white. And the idea of me joking with him saying, I'm in L.A. I'm cool. I can run. I'm run. I run through these neighborhoods all the time. Like this isn't back in the South where we're from. Like I get to run free. That's a joke that didn't become reality until I saw that video. And I was talking to another friend and I said, wait, is it really a privilege for me to run free? Like, is that really a thing that we have to really think about? And her response was, unfortunately, yeah. But she then continued with, I don't understand how in the times of COVID-19, when we're in a shelter in place, we're in a worldwide pandemic, are there still people out there hunting us down, taking our bodies into their sphere of control? You are still focused on what is that Black man doing and why is he running? But if a white man came running through there, you would not say, what is that white man doing and why is he running? That itself is a problem. If white America can't start there and say that initial thought is problematic of me seeing a black man and instantly saying, follow that black guy. So I don't. It just feels so overwhelming, though. I mean, I, I mean. Welcome to our realities. I know. You know what I mean? Like, that's a good thing. I mean, I don't know, but I'm I'm empathetic about it. I mean, I'm. No, I think that's good. I think it's good that you understand that it's overwhelming because I think that's what also people don't understand is that for us, this is a collection. It's like the the quarter bank. You keep putting it in the quarter and it's piling up and it's piling up. So for us, it is very overwhelming. So So many other white people are just like, oh, this is a singular thing. But the more people that start to embrace that it's overwhelming and understand that this is a problem, I think that's a good thing. I think that's what drives us to action. Josie, they were reading To Kill a Mockingbird, and she was, you know how kids are bitching about just books in general, like, oh, I mean, they like to read what they like to read, but they don't like to read what they're told to read. And she's like, I don't know, but it just like, it was so long ago. And I don't understand why I have to read. I go, remember when we had that discussion a couple months ago when you were feeling like that To Kill a Mockingbird was, you know, such an old story and, you know, you didn't really understand why you had to read it. And and God bless her in her own heart, because she's not tuned into the, the bigger world and the news and things like this, right? Unless I talk to her about it, right? She's watching her makeup videos on YouTube. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. you know, and like I said, in, in her heart, she doesn't, she's got friends of, you know, every race, every color, like every everything, which, you know, you and I have talked about, which that with my children, I am so glad that, you know, and that's been, you know, if that's one tiny little thing that I can do as a parent is to raise my children where that doesn't exist. I can't control a lot of stuff, but I, that's one thing that I have a lot of not control, but, uh, you know, influence over. And I think that's important. I think that's what a lot of parents need to do, especially white parents is pull them aside and show their kids the news. Right. Which is what I did. Yeah. Yeah. And so I said, when this whole thing happened, I I said, so remember we were talking a couple of months ago when I said, you may think that that's an old story. Yes, it was. It took place in a, a really long time ago. I said, but the point about you reading that is that all of that stuff, that racism, that prejudice, all of that stuff in that book, that still exists today. I go, that's the point of it all is to understand yeah. the dynamics of society and how they haven't changed. And, you know, I think she kind of got it then. But now when I'm using this as another example, I'm like, OK, perfect example. I go, mm-hmm. look at what's going on right now. In the midst of all this other craziness, when everybody's worried about just surviving this crazy virus, mm. and then this happens. That's why that story of that book is so relevant, because it's not any different today. Yeah. And that's, and it's just so crazy. It's, it's, it's such an intricate thing that unfortunately being black, you don't get to escape. Even if you're one who I think, you know, there's some black people out there who don't understand and they definitely, their eyes are closed, but you know, that's in every, every group. It's the group of people. There's always a group that just doesn't get it. But the truth is that you just, you don't get to escape it. You don't get to escape the realities of it. 
And I think what people need to understand is that they have to be willing to hear the truth. James Baldwin is one of my favorite people ever, but he has a quote that says something to the effect of, I imagine people, the reason why people hang on to their hate so stubbornly is because when the hate is gone, they would have to deal with the pain. Now, see, Black people, we had to deal with the pain instantly. We never got to escape the pain of this system that was created. White people were able to just like release the shackles and not deal with their own pain of that system. And white people don't understand that they too were affected and hurt and harmed by that pain. And one of those is their identity because the idea of whiteness is a false concept that was made by white people to give them status of superiority when they did the case, when they went into the world to dominate. The world is mostly colored. Right. And you have this subset group of people, Europeans, and you know these who who went into these different areas and started to say we are the manifest destiny, or we are you know the chosen ones. Or and throughout time in history, there's always been this new term that white people have given themselves to say we are the people who should be in charge, and this is why, and this is how, and in America to help that power system came this idea of whiteness versus blackness and what is white and what is not and creating these stories behind that. And so for black people, because our heritage was ripped from us, we had to go and find our heritage. We had to go and discover it because we knew that we were being fed someone else's story. So we had to, and we still have to go and find our roots. Most white people cannot know their actual roots. They have an idea of their family tree, but they don't have an idea of their global community, their global ancestry. And a large part of that is because they don't want the pain that comes along with it. To be white means that you have to accept that you have a privileged system set up in your favor. And that's painful to admit that. To be white means that you have to accept that no, you may not have owned slaves, but you may be a benefactor that benefited from that system of owning slaves. And the TV show Little Fires Everywhere, Reese Witherspoon and Karen Washington get into such that. an amazing fight on episode four. I haven't gotten there yet. She says, oh. That's okay. No, go ahead. That's okay. Well, Reese Witherspoon says something to Karen Washington to the effect of she didn't make good choices or you didn't make good choices. And Reese is like, and I did. And Karen Washington looks at her and she says, no, you had good choices. Because of who you are in this country, you don't have to worry about not being given choices that aren't good. Mm -hmm. You do have to worry about making a bad choice, but the options that are going to be presented to you are all good options. Then you might be the one who just doesn't look at the plethora of good options and goes the other way. But for people of color, there is no good choice or bad choice. There's a choice of survival. And what that looks like for each of us is different. And that's a harsh reality to admit that even in 2020, to be a person of color in America means that you are not living your life governed by complete freedom of choices. You're living your life navigating between which choice is going to be the next choice to help you survive and keep you alive. The whole idea that the whole person like of color, it's just a person. It's just so frustrating, like, because I don't understand it. I don't in my heart. I do not understand. I'm not belittling what you're talking about in terms of like what you've experienced. What I'm saying and me personally, outside of the obvious difference between like your skin color and my skin color and the generations. Let's be clear. <laughs> but like, I, we're, just, yeah. we're just people. I mean, it's so, yeah. it's so simple. It's not simple, but it's so simple. I, You're right. I can't. It's, and that is why I struggle so much in terms of like my roots and going back to growing up. It never computed to me. And I, yeah. which by and the way, I am so 
thankful. That's what James Baldwin speaks about in his book, The Fire Next Time. He speaks about, you know, white people are so disconnected and so it doesn't compute for them. And so for white people, you're right. They want to say, no, we're just people. And people of color, we don't know. I want you to see my color. Well, no, we talked about that too before. Like I I want you to see where I'm from. I want you to know that like my experiences are deeply rich in this heritage, just as someone else's is. What I don't want is for you to use my color against but That's me. what I mean. What I don't want is for you to say that my color means that I'm less than. And what happened with white America is they stripped away the, or tried to strip away the identities of communities of color to say, you have to be like us. While we were saying no. And then when we reclaimed what was taken from us and we find pride in that. When I type black excellence at Serena Williams. That's me being proud that someone broke through the barriers that was put against them because they weren't allowed to be in the system without those barriers. So yes, I'm going to be proud. And me being proud of that doesn't mean that I'm diminishing the other race or the other ethnicity. But white America hears when someone is proud or embraces that pride, they hear threat. And the threat really goes back to because they don't know who they are. And in what they are in thinking of, that if they embrace all of their whiteness, they have to embrace this destructive, toxic system of racism, which you do. So white America says, well, let's not embrace this system. Let's not embrace our past. Let's not face the pain of what we did. Let's run from it, cover it up, ignore it, act like it doesn't exist anymore. But the minute I have something that reminds me that it existed, because I haven't dealt with it, I'm now going to diminish or attack the thing that's making me remember where I came from. And the opposite is happening for communities of color. We're being told we're nothing. We're not good enough. We got to do this. We're not that. We're not that. We're not this. So then when we realize that those are lies and we embrace our fullness and we become who we authentically were born to be and we embrace that pride of saying, I survived these pitfalls, it threatens white America. And that's not our problem. White America needs to accept that they need to heal, that they need to go back into their past and they need to confront it and they need to own it and they need to then do the work to diminish or to dismantle the systems that their past created. Until white America goes in and starts to actively dismantle their system, it means that we have to continue to work twice as hard to make you dismantle it. So what do you say to this question? Because this isn't my question, but this is something that I've heard asked a thousand times. So I'm going to ask you for your answer. Mm-hmm. Why is it okay for you to say, I'm proud to be black, but if a person says that they're proud to be white, that's racist? Because the history of the white pride has been rooted in racism. When has white pride not been rooted in racism? When has white pride not been rooted in genocide? When has white pride not been rooted in death and destruction or oppression? That's why. When a person says that I'm black and I'm proud, it's because for years, someone else of the white society told me that I wasn't. And I believed that. And I diminished myself. And I was lived lesser than. And then I fought through and I overcame those lies. And I embraced who I am. And so no. I'm not ashamed to be Black like you wanted me to be. You want me to be ashamed to be Black. You want me to believe the narrative that I'm less than. You want me to believe the narrative that I'm uneducated. You want me to believe the narrative that you've been selling. Because if I believe that narrative, you control me. Okay. I just wanted to ask that question because I wanted every fucking body to hear that answer. Thank you. It's important, though, because people say it all the time. I never asked that, but I'm... We, we had this conversation casually before and I was like, okay, I'm just going to play devil's advocate. It's not my question, but I hear it all the time. Yeah. Well, why can people say I'm proud to be yeah. black? But if I say I'm proud to be white, I'm a fucking racist. I'm like, well, yeah. there's your fucking answer, people. Yeah. Thank you, John It's Donzel. the same with people who who are who have issues with with BET, you know, and they would say like, uh, "Well, how is there a black network, a black TV show? Because you got 50 for white people. 
Exactly. I don't know because you got 50 for white people. And then when the black person has an audition, you call them into the audition to be the maid or the help or to be the over-sexualized one or to be all these different stereotypes. So we had to go and create our own network and our own TV shows to be able to tell our stories authentically because you won't hire our writers to tell our stories authentically. And if you do hire our writers or our actors, you then try to tell us what you want to see us do. They want to see you be black. We have to create you gotta it be black. You got to be black. Yeah. I know. And then when we created it, we found success in it. So we're proud of it. Yeah. Just like anyone else who does a good job at hard work and they achieve that success at whatever it is they do, they're proud of it. I'm proud that I overcame the bullshit and lies that white America fed me. Yeah, I'm proud to be black. Because white America tried to tell me that I, if I'm black, I don't need to be proud of that. And I'm less than from my heart, you're everything. Oh, you're everything too. <laughs> but I mean, I do think that, you know, I do honestly think that if we really want to see the change that people say they want to see, there's got to be a lot of honest confrontations of whiteness within the white community. And there's got to be a lot of accountability to the white community within each uh, each other's spectrum. It's not enough to just say, I'm sad. We have to, you have to speak out and then you have to teach each other to speak out. And you have to be willing to lose friends and family by speaking out because you know it's right. And we all know that sometimes doing the right thing is the hardest thing. And it's because we're afraid of what we're gonna lose. But it doesn't, if we lost it, it doesn't mean that we were supposed to have it anyway. So I never cry about a lost friend or unfriending someone or losing someone that way because it means that we never were meant to be then. And again, back to James Baldwin, another thing he, of his that I love is we can disagree and still love each other unless our disagreement is rooted in my oppression and right to live. If we are disagreeing about fabrics, about religion, right. about, you know, um, about food or whatever, or, about uh, music, better, <laughs> at singing, I don't know. We can disagree about a lot of stuff. Right. But if our disagreement is about my existence of ownership of my body, about my existence of my right to live and thrive just as much as you, if our disagreement is about that, then we have a line in the sand. And that, unfortunately, is what happens when white Americans post on someone who says Black Lives Matter and they comment with All Lives Matter. That is the exact thing that they are doing. And sometimes they don't even know it because that is them saying they don't even see that there's a problem with the Black community. Yeah. So if All Lives Matter, then you will take a second and say, hey, All Lives Matter, but we're not treating our Black population like they do. Yeah. You never see those people say all lives matter and then say, so with since all lives matter, we need to focus on black lives because y'all are not treating black lives like they matter. So this is what we're going to do. Yeah. But why do they say all lives matter? Because it means if I say that, I don't have to confront the issue. Yeah, I know. I can turn a blind eye. So, yeah. Fucked up. I do genuinely believe that the younger generation will make a lot of strides that our generations have not as the generations continue to do. You know what I mean? Each generation, I do genuinely believe it has gotten better. And I do think that more better is on its way. But I think we have to stop lying to ourselves and act like things are good and things are better and things have been solved. Like you said in the beginning, you know racism still exists. How much of white America still knows that? How much of white America genuinely knows that? It goes back to fucking Reese Witherspoon and that TV show. Oh, I'm not racist. I like black people. I mean, it's just the, the, the nicety of everything. That's what I thought was so interesting. I just watched the first episode, I think I told you, is that the, the unawareness of yeah. what people say, even when yeah. they think that they're like, like you said, all lives matter. Because or You can be a racist. You can be, you can be part of a racist system without being racist. But, you know, just like, you know, can I really need a housekeeper? The mm -hmm. assumption, like the, mm -hmm. you know, even if if what you're saying is, to, is meant to be hospitable and helpful, when mm -hmm. you're saying in the context of seeing them in a different way, mm -hmm. even if you offered him 500 million fucking dollars, if you offered mm -hmm. it... In the with the wrong words in the wrong way, it's still in the context of that inequality. Mm -hmm. 
And that's mm-hmm. what I think is the root of all of it is that yeah, it's, it's, the, people choose. There are so many layers to how people yeah. act on that belief. But the reality is, if you ask a large majority of American people, white American people, they will say, even though they may not do anything consciously in terms of like a racial action or a racist statement or whatever, if you ask them and they were honest with themselves, they would say the white people are a greater people or that the black people are a lesser people for whatever their reasons, even though they like, but I like black people. That's always a disclaimer, but I like black people. But that's what I was saying about the whole color thing is that it's not to not acknowledge the color because I know that that's something as a community, as a race, you are proud of. You know, you don't want to like lose that. But the idea that people are defined by that as opposed to just being people and seeing each other equally and treating each other equally. I mean, like I said, I know that it's so simple, but it's so not simple at all. It really is as simple as just being aware. And it's just that, you know, until you are honest with yourself and what you see in society, the challenges are going to continue to happen. We have to understand that we all live in a racist society. Just because our society is racist doesn't mean you yourself are racist. And people get hung up on the two and they will say, no, I'm not racist. I didn't say you were racist. I said that you come from a racist society, that you live in a racist society, that you have a society that benefits you in a way that it doesn't benefit me. And I am not saying that you as the white person are racist because you haven't shown me that yet. The minute you show me it, I will call you that. And there are many, many white people (laughs) that I know (laughs) that I love and that love me and that I would never, ever anywhere close to saying that they are anywhere close to being racist and they truly genuinely do have an open loving heart and they do their best to like create equity and hear me as I hear them and see me for who I am there are many people like that in my life but it doesn't change the fact you are one of them (laughs) it doesn't change the fact that we as americans black white or whatever live in a racist system well then we we got a lot of fucking work to do donzel yep and we gotta acknowledge that system and we gotta acknowledge that we have to dismantle the system and it is fucking scary to think about what that system would look like when it is dismantled oh my god seriously I just, I love you. That's all I, I can say. I love you. And I love that we can have these conversations. And yeah. I love that these conversations. It's a, but they're important. Like I said, I mean, I, I mean, I, we're not going to change the world, but you know what the reality is? If we change one person's mind, if somebody actually listens to this, it's like, wow, like yeah. I never really looked at it that way. Then that's positive exactly. result. Here's what I truly believe. If we or you as an individual truly are disgusted by what you saw in Georgia, if you truly are against the racist system that we have in this country, you will find your ways to take action. And I'm a person who truly believes that everyone's individual action is not the same. Some of us are meant to be on the front line. And I had my day on the front line, protesting, marching, advocating, community organizing. I had my day doing that in Richmond and I loved it. But now I'm at an age where I can't give my energy to that. Me personally can't give my energy in that way anymore. But maybe artistic, maybe we can do that exactly. through art. I do still create art that makes us think. I do still make sure that I create an open and culturally inclusive classroom so that all of my students feel seen from their various heritages and so that the other students also see into another world other than their own and create awareness that the world is bigger than them, right? And that there is not just one great artist because we in America, again, push this narrative that all the great art looks a certain way and comes from a certain type of people (laughs) when there are people from all over the world that are creating wonderful art that we never heard about because they are from another country or a colored country. You know what I mean? And so I do still donate. I do still volunteer with activism groups and I do still go out every now and then when I can. And I am on the front lines when I can. So I do find my ways to take action. And I think that if everyone was finding a way to take action, things would be better. And so that is my call to anyone who is listening is don't just sit with the emotion. Drive, let the emotion drive you to take an action to help eradicate the bigger issue. And that action is more than a post on social media. It's 
it's that's just that's just not enough, right? Yeah, it's not enough. It's great. It's, it's, it's great that people say, were posting the running and the t-shirts and exactly. you know what I mean. But like, sign the petition, which people were sharing. Do you, like yeah. little things like that. I get it's it. Sitting your kid down and being like, hey, having a look, conversation. This is yeah. what's going on. This is the reality of our world. And as a mother and as a father, you know, as your guardian, this is not what I believe in. I don't want to see a world that continues to live like this. And I want you to understand that this is not something you need to want to continue to see. You know what I mean? Like even that itself is a powerful revolutionary act. I think so many people look at the massiveness of the whole movement and they say, oh my gosh, I got to go be on the front lines doing this. Everyone's not qualified to be on the front line. Everyone's not qualified to lead the movement. Everyone's not qualified to lead a, a community gathering. Sometimes your qualifications are being the support. Right. Sometimes your qualifications are if you've even got the money to go and fund the systems and the programs that are actively working against discrimination, to donate to free justice projects that are helping people get off death row that are illegally put there, yeah. to donate to law firms that take these cases on pro bono or do a, a discount in their services. You know what I mean? Like there's so many ways right. to engage. Yeah. And I just think that you have to honestly ask yourself, all of us, you, me, and everyone else, are you taking the actions that you know are the best actions that you can take to help eliminate the issue? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Wow. Well, that was a thank lot. Thank you. So, but so, I mean, <laughs> like she wants to talk about that. All right. <laughs> no, but it's so important. I mean, no, and important. like I said, I mean, you know, sometimes my questions aren't personal questions, Yeah. but to your point, I have a lot to learn. I have a lot to learn just about the way that society is right now. And as much as we aren't racist, but what can we do to change, to really change it? Not in a moment and not for one specific event, but in terms of, you know, the mentality of a really, really big society. But I do like to ask those questions so that everybody else hears the answer from somebody that, I mean, I could sit there and read the same thing that you said, and it's not going to mean anything, but to hear it coming from you, that's the validation in all of it. Like I said, I don't know what it's like to be black. I know what people in my race will counter when it comes to the things that you raise. And because I think it's so, so important for people to hear the answer. Right. So. But that's why I want the answer to come more from you. Yeah. But Only I'm learning. Because... I mean, honest, I'm learning. I and, and like I oh, said, I, know, I mean, I, I know. I... But that's what I yeah. mean. Like, I think that's part of the process. Part of the process is for every white American who's saying, I don't know what to do. I want to do something. I don't know how to help. The first thing you need to do is just listen. Right. Just like men who need to listen to women and need yeah, to understand absolutely. that we can't control, direct or facilitate the women's movement, but we can support it. Yeah. And be the support that the women need by saying, how do you want me to help? And letting the women tell us this is how, just like in the queer movement and the LGBT movement as well. You can't come into my movement and say, this is how I need you to do this. For all the white Americans who are mad at Colin for taking a knee, I'm glad you're mad because you know what? You don't get to control the movement. A protest is meant to interrupt and disrupt. You don't get to tell us we know that we have an issue and that we've caused a problem. But in order for us to solve it, you got to do things the way we want you to. If, because that, if we didn't yeah. need to protest, if he didn't need yeah. to take a knee, he right. wouldn't. I was going to say, the so fli- it's yeah, meant the, to make you uncomfortable. The, the flip side of that is because so when that nobody was listening. Come, so this will make you listen. It'll piss you off, but it'll make you actually pay attention. Exactly. Yeah. And so what happens is people get the moment to listen. The disruption happens and they don't listen. And they say, well, if only if you had said it to me in this way. But the truth is, we've been saying it to you in several ways since the beginning of you bringing us over here. And you didn't listen. Illegally. And you didn't listen. And you didn't listen. Right. This ain't nothing new. So once you listen, then you figure out what to do. And that's my call is listen and know that it is more helpful for people who are white to start to speak up and call out what they see in their white faces. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in. If you like what you hear, or even if you don't, but you want to hear more, please subscribe. Come back. And if there's something in life that's bothering you and it's got you feeling misplaced and you want to talk about it, reach out to us because we definitely want to hear. Yeah, get in touch. Our website is misplacedlife.com. Check us out. Or you can just slide into our DMs. Did you just say slide into our DMs? Yeah, that's what you do on Instagram when you get to Elsa. Okay, people, 
slide into our DMs at insta misplaced.life. <laughs> <laughs>